as we look to the Lord in prayer. And our Father, we're thanking you that in the intensity of the days past and the preparations for the days to come, we find a central meeting place and point, a reference point, when on a Lord's Day we can position ourselves to receive the bread and the cup, look back upon what Christ did, and look ahead simultaneously to when Christ returns and understand how past, present, and future all fit together and how the cross in many ways is the pivotal point, the centerpiece, whereby we understand the entirety of what your plan of redemption is all about. So, Father, give us wisdom. Thanking you, Father, for minutes like these. So in the moments to come, warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus. Him only. Praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a classic story that Dr. Wearsby told in his class. And uh, 2015, I was standing there in London. Charing Cross, you see. And the classic story, as I was pondering the significance of the setting, was that there was a little boy who, we're told, was walking the streets of London. He was disoriented, he was confused, and he wasn't quite sure where home was. So the London officer, they call them Bobbies, and we call them, of course, the police, came up to him and asked him, um, what he could do for him. And the little boy looked up at the officer and said, I'm lost. And he said, well, where do you live? And he said, I, I live near the cross. So if you can just get me to the cross... I'll find my way home. Story resonated with me as I stood on Charing Cross Road and thought about the nickname the Londoners give to it. They call it the cross. I live near the cross. If you could just take me to the cross. I'll be able to find my way home. This morning, if you feel homeless, or maybe you've just wandered far from home, it's time to come home. So what I want to do with you is to take you to the cross from these verses this morning. And there are going to be two significant elements to this passage of Scripture that are going to unfold in front of our very eyes Two considerations for us to be able to get our arms around. And the first comes out of verse 19 through 21, that as you and I, as we reflect upon Christ's, upon Christ's sacrificial death, watch what appears on the screen now. On our behalf, consider first of all the approach that God has designed for us. How do I 
find my way home? Where do I go? How do we get there? What's my approach? Notice that I don't design the way. God does. And so now in Hebrews chapter 10, in the richness of these verses, he's talking now to the family of believers at this point. And he says, therefore, brothers, he's building off of all the previous chapters and his reasoning and his rich reasoning. Then he says, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And you can almost, if you have a Jewish heartbeat going right now, you're finding as though the writer is taking your breath away. Because the average Jew, when he or she would be looking at that temple and then thinking about the holy place, and pondering how that curtain would separate the individual from all the intricacies and intimacies involved in that, in that setting so representative of the holiness of God. It seems so inaccessible, you see. Who would have confidence? Nobody. And yet he's saying now collectively we have confidence. And we have confidence to enter. And you're saying, I thought only the, holy, the, the, the high priest could enter. But we're told here that we have confidence to enter, to enter the holy places. How, we're asking now? Well, the answer is by the blood, by the blood of the Lamb. Now, you and I have got to bear in mind that the way into the holy of holies was Barred, this closed off, cut off. As long as the temple stood with its second curtain or veil, that was God's design. You see, it would stay that way until Christ Jesus came. And when you see the blood of Jesus, it doesn't read the blood of the goats and the blood of the of the Older Testament system. But no, it, it talks about the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the problem of the Older Testament was that, as it says in Hebrews 10, verse 4, it's impossible for the blood of the bulls and goats to take away sins. What the blood of the goats and the bulls offered was directional signs, visual signposts, like on the highway where you're trying to find your way home. And you're saying it's now X number of miles until you get to your destination. So now what the blood of the bulls and the goats of the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, did was that those were your directional signs. Now you've got so many miles before you're able to get home and unpack and walk in to where you feel at ease. But nobody felt at ease entering into the Holy of Holies, you see. And the reason is because you're dealing at this point with the blood of bulls and the 
blood of goats. You need something which is permanent, not something which is temporal. Now, the beauty of Christianity is that it is based upon the words of Jesus on that cross. It is finished. Greek word, tetelestai. One word. It is finished. You can't add to it. You can't subtract from it. And so year after year, all these animals are being sacrificed. Now, as Jesus Christ made his way into Jerusalem, he did so in the midst of the Passover, where lambs were continuously being slain. In the Older Testament, you will find the Isaac Abraham question of the hour. Where is the lamb? In the New Testament, there is John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John enlightens our understanding with, Worthy is the Lamb. See the sequence from older to newer? Where is the Lamb? Behold the Lamb. Future, worthy is the Lamb. As your past, your present, and your future are all getting connected now. This is incredible. But what fascinates us is that we have confidence to enter the holy place, not by the blood of the animals, because then we wouldn't have had confidence. And it was only the high priest who could enter. But rather by the blood of Jesus. Now he adds something new. You're up to verse 20 at this point in your approach, and the approach is now spelled out for you. Remember, we're in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus had said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one, no exceptions, no one comes to the Father but through me, And the no one also applied then to visually that holy of holies. Except for a designated individual, high priest, once per year, allowed to be able to enter into the holy of holies, but he himself was sinful, would need sacrifice for himself as well in order to enter in, but it would have to be repeated year by year by year, and then along comes your Jesus. And the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life, also said it is finished. Verifying that there is this new way. But don't you love the coupling of this? It is the new way and living way. It doesn't read the new and deadly way which would have happened. Now, in Hebrews 9, what the writer does, moving in and preparing us for chapter 10, is that in Hebrews 9, what God has done through the writers brilliantly contrasts two ways. In the Older Testament, through the sacrifices of the Older Tabernacle Temple, versus through Christ's atoning sacrifice, they completed the task once and for all. 
Now, the challenge is that people are continuously looking for alternative ways to God. So now, Jesus said, I am the way, and the writer of Hebrews refers to this as, as here, the new and living way. And my mind goes back to an interview that took place politically years ago where the mayor of Jersey City in New Jersey was being asked incredible questions by a news reporter. He was being asked how he was able to stand up against corruption and graft that was, that was really prominent throughout the political system that he was, that he was in. How would he be able to stand up to the temptations of bribes, face the opposition that were ridiculing him? And Mayor Fagan answered one of the questions by simply saying, I know the way. Well, the news reporter got Fagan to tell what he meant by the way. And Fagan, with an outstretched arm, pointed to a painting behind his desk, the desk where this interview was taking place, and he pointed to a picture of Jesus Christ and simply said, He is the way. I know the way because He is the way. And so now, what the writer of Hebrews did in chapter 9 is to prepare you for what he would write in chapter 10, contrasting two ways and then delivering the goods by saying that there is the new, and notice it's an absolute, the new, and not deadly way, if you and I had tried to enter outside of God's designed approach, but rather the living way, but then notice this. It does not read that we have opened up for ourselves. No, it reads that he opened for us. And he opened for us through the curtain. Now, if this seems somewhat foreign for you, you've got to bear in mind that when Jesus Christ died on that cross... There was an extraordinary cosmic event that was unfolding at that very point in time. Why, in Luke chapter 23, the physician tells us it was now about the sixth hour, which would mean on the Jewish time schedule, it was 12 noon. God sovereignly picked his hour. It was in the zenith of the sunlight of the day to darken this canvas of this of this scene. It was now about the sixth hour there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now begin to think about what God is setting up for us. Sixth hour, twelve noon, sun's added scene, darkness engulfs the cross at midday, remains for three significant hours. 33 years earlier, there had been this incredible light dazzled in the midst of the night when Jesus was born. Now there's darkness in the heart of the day. 
as Jesus Christ dies. Do you grasp this? It's as if the entire cosmos is in a state of mourning. Amos, talking about the day of the Lord, would say, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And so now God is creating a visual to help us to understand the significance of what will take place next. Because while the sun's light failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And we are told it was torn to top to bottom. If it was by human hands, it would be from bottom to top. But this is grace, God's grace, not our works. Ponder this curtain. And look at that phrase on the screen. Through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. In the midst of the darkness of that cross, the curtain was the most significant of the 13 being described here in the temple, woven with expensive yarn, blue, white, red, purple with representations of the cherubim. Its function was to block all eyes from and to forbid all access to the Holy of Holies, except once a year, when the high priest entered with blood offered for himself and the sins of the people. But in the midst of the darkness of the 12 through noon time period of that day, this curtain, which was as thick as a person's hand, was slashed in two. Top to bottom. And incredibly, there's access. The curtain, broken, torn, all of a sudden the Ark of the Covenant's Exposed. Blood-covered mercy seat exposed. Cherubim exposed. Previously, the writer of Hebrews would have said, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner. Unlimited access. Access with an approachable God on your hands. And that becomes the right of each and every one who knows Jesus Christ as his, her Savior. You should take your breath away. You're pondering that curtain now. God tore it open. It's not our good works that tore it open. By the new and living way that he opened for us. He didn't merely open it. You see the wording? 
He opened for us, you see. Every phrase here leaps at our, to get our attention through the curtain, but then we need clarification, and he adds through his flesh. There's a richness here. Now, what I want you to do, if you have an English Standard Version in particular, is to, or just look at the screen, this this approach has two since we haves. The first since we have is found in verse 19 and 20, since we have confidence. Your second since we have is in verse 21, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Which makes me wonder, at the time in which Jesus Christ was dying for our sins, and in the midst of the darkness, now the curtain is torn open and everything is exposed, what was that high priest, that earthly high priest thinking? Who did this? How did this happen? Never in all of history. Can you imagine the numbness that must have encompassed his mindset at that point? He thought that was, that was exclusive territory. And now all of a sudden, everything has opened up. Access is being given here. But as he, as Peter put it, there is no longer a need for a priesthood, for all who are in Christ are, quote, a royal priesthood. And so the one who had on that cross, King of the Jews, is now offering you and me royal priesthood status of access. If verses 19, 20, and 21 deal with the approach God designed for us, and you've spotted now the two since we haves that bookend this section, and notice then the second major consideration as you and I reflect upon Christ's sacrificial death on our behalf. Consider not only the approach God designed for us that you see here in 19 through 21, but now the appeals God makes to us in 22 through 25. And there's three appeals. Now you're going to tie together the approach that had the two since we haves with the three appeals as I write about in your insert this morning. And I want you to notice the colorization on the screen because what we're doing now is connecting dots for you. There are three let us statements found here. Each let us is connected to a particular part of the triad of faith, hope, and love. The first let us ties you to faith, the second let us ties you to hope, and the third let us ties you to love. This is brilliant what he's done here for us. Check out the first let us. It's right there before you. Let us draw near. That's not what normally would have done, been done. But let us draw near, how? With a true heart in full, not partial, full assurance of faith. And then notice, and I've got this likewise distinguished for you, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, the hearts deal with your internal, your bodies deal with the externals. God's saying, I got you covered. Got you covered. And this is the whole package. He's Lord over both internal and external aspects of your life. So now he's motioning at you. He's saying, come here. I've established the approach for you. I'm making the appeal to you. This is what communion's all about, you see. Let us draw near. Let us draw near, not with a, a false heart, with an artificial heart, a true heart, there's integrity here in the inner sphere, in full assurance, not partial assurance, of there's the first of the triad, faith, with our hearts, that's the inward, sprinkled clean from the evil conscience, and our bodies, that's the outward, washed with pure water. Notice the imagery here. He's using Levitical imagery to talk about the way in which God, through Jesus Christ, secures you. So now you've got your inward and your outward. You've got your first let us, which is an appeal, tied to the first of the triad, faith. Now he's saying, here comes the second appeal. So you're up to verse 23. Let us hold fast. First was let us draw near. The second, as you are drawing near, you're holding fast. They're meant to be connected. Let us hold fast, what? The confession of our hope. And you're doing that without wavering. There's a certainty here about all of this because it's based not upon your faithfulness. It's based upon God's faithfulness. Because do you see how verse 23 ends? For he who promised is faithful. It doesn't say, if you believers are faithful. That would create such incredible uncertainty. Then we're back to, we're back, we're starting all over again. Then I don't have an approach. I don't have a, a new and living way. It's a deadly way, my way. But I've pulled together now the two since we have in 19 through 21 with the approach. With the three let us in the appeals of 22 through 25. And the first appeal comes from God to us, not us to God. We're not appealing to God. Let me in. Ah, he opened it up. He, he's appealing to you. Come on in. Let us draw near. How? Faith. Sola fide in the Latin. Faith alone. It's exclusive. In Christ alone. For he who promised is faithful. Not if you are faithful, because I need the sinless one to fulfill the promise to be faithful, because the sinful ones are unfaithful. But then, 
I began to think that through the significance of this hope. It happened in World War II. Hope was lagging. When Scott Winnick tells us that our B-17 was barraged by flak from Nazi aircraft guns, and that was not unusual, but on this particular occasion, our gas tanks were hit. In the book, The Fall of Fortresses, you and I are told here that later as I reflected on the miracle of a 20-millimeter shell piercing the fuel tank without touching off an explosion, our pilot, Bon Fox, told me it was not quite that simple. On the morning following the raid, Bon had gone down to ask our crew chief for that shell as a souvenir of what we thought at the time was simply unbelievable luck. The crew chief told Bon that that was not just one shell, but 11 that had been found in the gas tanks. 11 unexploded shells? How can that happen? Where only one was sufficient to blast us out of the sky. We looked at one another, trying to hang on to some kind of hope in the midst of this war. When lo and behold, it was almost as if the sea had been parted. Even after 35 years, so awesome an event leaves me shaken to this day, especially after I hear the rest of the story, where I was told that the shells had been sent to the armorers to be diffused. The armorers then said that intelligence had picked them up. They could not say why at that time, but then Bon eventually tells us the rest of the story. Apparently, when the armorers opened each of these shells, they found no explosive charge. None. Clean as a whistle. They all empty? Not all. One contained a carefully rolled up piece of paper. And on it was writing in the language of the Czechs. C-Z-E-C-H-S. So the intelligent people, intelligence people, they scoured the base looking for somebody who could read Czech. Eventually they found one to decipher the note and it instilled within us such incredible hope for the future regarding this war. For the note read, quote, this is all we can do for you now. Unquote. As if to say, we've got you covered. Even in enemy territory. God instilling some hope in your heart today when perhaps life has looked so hopeless in 2018? Are you pulling your triad together? Your first appeal, the first let us, is tied to faith. Your second triad is connected to hope and it's rooted not in us but in the faithful God. Here comes at you your third appeal. The third let us, it's in 24-25. Let us consider how to stir up one another. How? Love. You got your faith, you got your hope, you got your love. The biblical triad. You got your let us, let us, let us. In the produce section of Christianity. 
And now what God is doing for you at this moment is he's saying, stay connected. We're gathered here to be scattered through the week. We gather to scatter, but we need each other. Let us consider how to stir up one another, but for what purpose? To love. Good works. Don't isolate yourself from other believers. No. Integrate yourself with other believers. This is how this verse unfolds. Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Maybe they got wounded or hurt on the battlefield of life and want to pull away from people, including Christians. Yeah. But no, he's saying, you gather to encourage one another. And then you do that all the more, you see. All the more. As you see the day drawing near, I want you now to connect furthermore that where you and I were told since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, we are called in 22, draw near. But the draw near of verse 22 has got to be connected with now at the end of verse 25, he's bookending for you again as you see the day Drawing near. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, the Apostle Paul had written. And so the writer of Hebrews now is talking about that future day of Jesus Christ's appearance. This is the day of Yahweh, spoken in the Old Testament. It's the day in which once more God will shake not only the earth but also the heavens in chapter 12, verse 26 of Hebrews. And though we're living in the last days, according to chapter 1, verse 2, what we've got to understand is that there is the now and the not yet aspect to the last days. We're living in the now of the last days. But there's also a not yet to the last days. And when you connect the now and the not yet to the last day experience of living, it's then that you embrace both the approach and the appeals and the let us's and the threefold, the triad here of faith, hope, and love, and the internal and the external. And now you're able to say what that little boy said I live near the cross. Just take me to the cross. And I'll find my way home. Time to come home. So, Father, we're thanking you now for the opportunity we have in the approach of moving, perhaps symbolically, to the bread and the cup. Thank you for the worship team and how they encourage us now. And we reflect upon the bread and reflect upon the, on the cup. We're doing so by positioning ourselves near the cross.
can't wait to get home. In Jesus' name.